This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, we now have a time of scripture reading, uh, and uh, here is where we uh, we read the Word of God. And we believe that as we read what uh, God says in the Bible, it's not just a dead document, but it's the living Word of God that we hear. Uh, today we'll be reading from 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, 1 to 13, 11, 1 to 13, and 11, 26 to 43 as well. So uh, let me invite Sister Lina up for. Uh, for the Bible reading. First, please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked to him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered her questions. Solomon answered all the questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cup various, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, even half was told to me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted, you, delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you your king, you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir, and from there they brought a great, cargo, great cargoes of amalk wood, and precious stones. The king used the amok wood to make supports for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. So much amok wood has never been imported or seen since that day. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for, besides what she had give, given out of his royal bounty. Then she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. The one, oh, sorry, First Kings, chapter eleven, verse one. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, "You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods." Nevertheless, Solomon had held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. So Solomon grew old. His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. 
He followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high palace, a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who turned in, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to other gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the, king, the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Verse 26. Also, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zeradar, and his mother was a widow named Zurah. Here is the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the terraces and had filled, it, filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing, and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way, wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David Solomon's father did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son, so that David my servant may always have a lamb before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to, my, to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak the king and stayed there until Solomon's death. This is the word of God.
All right, uh, thank you, Sister Lina, for the Bible reading. Uh, now I invite Pastor Andrew up to give us the sermon. Pastor Andrew, please. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a joy to be with God's people, opening up God's Word. So if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 10? Or if you use the church Bible, the blue Bible, it is page 348. 348. Why don't we pray together? Father, you who can turn hearts back to you, we pray, God, that you speak to us today. As we open up your word, that you will speak and that we will hear. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what is success? What is success to you? Now, there was this article uh, published in uh, Psychology Today, and I was really intrigued when the title came up. So I read it, and this is what the author says. And I quote him. He said, when I was in seventh grade, I had an assignment in school to write a paper about success. My title was, Success is Simply Happiness. When I told that to my father at the dinner table on the night before the paper was due, my dad, he put down his fork, he stared right at me, and he said, All my buddies died in World War II, did not die happy. Are you telling me they were not successful? In my mind, the author says, I thought about changing the title to Just Don't Die. What is, what is success to you? What is success? Is success about being happy? Is success about not dying too quickly? Is success about doing well in exam? Is success about being witty and being liked? Is it being rich? Is it being famous or popular? Success about enjoying life to the max. Or perhaps philosophically, as the author tried to nail his article, he says, perhaps success is really the journey of learning and attempting to we die. What is success to you? Now this morning we will climb the heights of Solomon's glory, but we will also witness his failure and his end of his life. We have been in the book of First Kings and now we come to chapter 10 and chapter 11. Today we'll look at uh, the journey in three steps. That the king's glory, when he is under God, the king's goal under politics, and the king's grave under sin. Now in this journey, we shall see success in a very, very different light. That success lies in the promises of God's word. We'll learn that because God keeps his word, we must guard our hearts and follow a king who is more powerful than King Solomon. A king who will not fall under sin and in fact can save us from ours. 
So let's begin today's passage as you flip to 1 Kings 10, verse 1 with me. Now we begin with a very famous story that is linked to the wisdom of Solomon. It's the visit of the Queen of Sheba. Now it's almost a perfect Disney movie potential. You can almost imagine a fancy movie with grand displays of kingdoms, perhaps um, a lot of intriguing riddles in the middle of the story. And of course, if you want to earn money, the producers will put some romance in between the king and the queen. Now, here's one thing that the motion picture will probably miss out, and that is the key character of this account. And that key character is God. So look at verse 1 with me, how this event really pans out. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Now the queen of Sheba hears two things from a distance and greatly puzzle her. The first she hears is about the fame of a king with unmatched wisdom. The second thing that this queen hears is that this king has a special relationship with God, and if the rumor is right, his wisdom actually has divine origin. Wow. How is she going to know how it looks like? Because there's no Zoom, there's no WhatsApp call, there are no photos. So the only way she can deal with this rumor is that she will go and see everything herself. And so she did, with a very great caravan of camels, carrying spices, large quantities of gold, precious stones. She travels this long distance to Jerusalem to meet the king. Now, when she arrived at Jerusalem, you can almost imagine that she herself carries this great uh, aura around her that she comes from a distinguished nation. She came with treasures and hard questions. Now, was she impressed when she arrives in Jerusalem? Verse 3 says, yeah, she is. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. In fact, during her stay, Solomon shows the queen of Sheba around the city. At the palace, she eats at his table and observes the food that's being laid out and how Solomon's officials, the way the sitting arrangement is being placed. As she looks on, she sees the robes that the servants wear. In fact, the way that the cup bearers of the king present themselves. And she was in awe all that. Now finally in verse 5, we hear this, that the king then brings her to the temple of God. There he makes burnt offering, as to the burnt offering goes, the smoke rises to heaven and she gets overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by how every detail of this kingdom carries the divine wisdom. She's overwhelmed by the display of glory because which king can display such glory. A king who has a relationship and a promise from God. This is what the queen comes to realize because it is no secret. The whole Jerusalem knows that the whole vast display of glory comes from the covenant of God. The temple stands as a witness of God's promise. The palace, the kingdom display Solomon's God-given wisdom. While the king's words were not recorded in this chapter, the queen's words were, and she honors God for all his love and his justice and his righteousness. Look at how the queen 
speaks to Solomon. Look at verse 7 of chapter 10. I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. Now she confesses that really her imagination did not match up with what her eyes actually see. Not even half of it. This is what she says as she praises as a Gentile woman or queen. Look at verse 8 and 9. She says, really how happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. In verse 9, praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And so God has revealed his glory to the whole world through King Solomon. He revealed his love for Israel through the king. God displays justice and righteousness through the wisdom that Solomon gets from God. In fact, through the king, even Gentiles from the ends of the earth now gathers to praise the God of Israel. How happy God's people, in fact, the whole world is to have a king who has divine wisdom from God. Now, as the queen presents her gifts or the treasures and gold, she literally fulfills the last prayer that David gave for his son Solomon. If you remember that a few weeks ago, in Psalm 72, verse 15, this is David's last corporate prayer for his son, David, uh, for his son Solomon. And he said this in Psalm 72, 15, Long may he, the king, live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Now, this is the heights of King Solomon's reign. This is the peak of the people's happiness. Because the king obeys God. Now, the ends of the earth come and listen to the king's wisdom because the king is under, who is under God gains God's glory. And the result really is that people are happy. Now, there are two important implications for you and me as we look at the first part. And the first is that we too need a king like that to really be happy. And the second thing we need to have is that we actually need to respond to this king rightly because he has God's wisdom and God's glory. Now, the question comes, does the Bible tell us that there's such a king? And the answer is, yes. But does everyone respond rightly to him? And the answer is no. This is where we have, because not everyone will turn to this king the way the Queen of Sheba does. In the New Testament, we are told of one who is greater and wiser than Solomon. But the elites refuse to acknowledge him when he displayed God's wisdom and God's glory. And this is where we find in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. We're told in Matthew chapter 12, that Jesus, he was the God's anointed. He did what Solomon could not do. Not only did he speak wisdom, he actually healed a demon-possessed man so that he could speak and he could see. The people were so astonished that they asked, could this man be the son of David? It's referring to the covenantal son. 
the son who will bring the kingdom. And guess what? The religious elites, the Pharisees say, they said, you know what? It's only by Beelzebub, that the prince of demons, that Jesus actually drives out demons. And then they demand Jesus for more signs. And in that, Jesus rebuked them with these words in Matthew 12, verse 42. He said, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn them. But she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Now, unlike the queen who glorifies God when she sees King Solomon, the religious in Jesus' days, they refuse to acknowledge Jesus, in fact, claiming that his power is from the demons. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, this is a warning and this is a reminder for us that as we listen to the words of Jesus and hear about the works of Jesus, how do we respond to Jesus? Do we respond to him like the queen of Sheba did to God's king? Or do we reject him? Do we give him his rightful glory, acknowledging his authority, kingship, and wisdom? Now, dear friends, here's the thing. Our long-term success in life is really not found in our ability to navigate as far away from death as we could. It's not a long-term success. Our long-term success is to recognize someone has the power to deal with spiritual death. And it is Jesus who saved the demon-possessed man, and he is the one who can save us from eternal death. As we come to Jesus there, we are called to recognize the glory of God rather than to reject him, because he is greater than King Solomon. But now as we come back to Solomon in 1 Kings 10, we're going to see that his glory does not last, because his faithfulness did not and with that, neither did the happiness of the people. Because the passage soon shows us a shift from the king's glory to the king's goal. We didn't, see, we didn't read this passage, so look at it with me in chapter 10, verse 14 onwards. Now, as you look at chapter 10, verse 14, we shift our attention from, to, from the temple or from, from God's glory to Solomon's politics. We see how wealth particularly gold, is starting to be gathered and used. Verse 14 actually begins by weighing the gold that Solomon receives each year. Then it talks about how 200 big shoes and 300 smaller shoes are made out of gold for the king. And then we talk about, it talks about the golden throne that Solomon builds, the golden goblets, the golden household articles. They're all for the king. We see how Solomon's Sea expedition brought gold back. And we saw later on, or we see later on, how people will come to hear Solomon and they bring gifts of gold. Now, all this can look great, but there's also this silent shift from the glorious God to Solomon's gold. Now, this is a hint when we read how the golden throne of Solomon is being built from verses 18 to 22. Let me explain what is actually happening as he builds this throne. There's a shift from, hey, look at God to, guys, look at me. Because this is how the throne looks like. It has six steps. 
six grandstands on each side, there are lions on it. And on the seventh, the perfect point is the golden throne of Solomon, which he sits on. And as he sits on that perfect throne, he's saying, guys, look at me. So as people come, they start to focus their attention on the king. Now, why do we say that the king's focus has changed or was changing from God to gold? It becomes very telling as you look on to verses 26 to 29 because the king start to disobey God by trading chariots and horses. Now, Moses gave this warning centuries ago before they even have king. He said this, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. But the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. But when you look at 1 Kings 10, verse 26, this is what you will read. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses. And where did Solomon get so many horses? Verse 28, Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. In fact, if you look on verse 29, they start to export horses to all the other kings of the Hittites and the Arameans. You know, in modern terms, this is what it actually means that Solomon has now become the arms dealer. He's the peaceful king that distributes advanced weapons and sells them to get money. From peaceful king, he has become one that has gone against the law of Moses, the very instructions that his father gave him at his deathbed. Now, dear friends, we're going to ask this question. How much gold is too much gold? How much wealth is too much wealth? Is wealth good or evil? Well, actually, the Bible does not give us a clear line with regards to wealth because gold in itself is neutral. It can be used to build the temple of God. And it can also be used for self-glorying grand, grand throne of Solomon. No, we've seen wealth being gathered by wise trading. We've also seen gold being gathered by rebellious horse trading. But the passage does warn of the dangerous shift in loyalty when gold starts to contend with God. This is the danger a king may have when he starts focusing on acquiring more gold and more gold. The shift is very subtle, but the impact is very grievous. Now, imagine me um, taking an aeroplane. Many of us have taken an aeroplane before. Imagine an aeroplane leaving from Los Angeles, flying straight to, to Rome, Italy. Um, it's being explained that the flight will take about 12 hours. If you go straight and direct, you'll reach Rome in 12 hours, but if the nose of the aeroplane just points one degree off course to the south, after 12 hours, your plane arrives in Tunisia, Tunisia, in Africa. If there is one degree difference up north, you end up in Slovenia or Austria. Well, I'm not an aerospace engineer, so I can't verify if it's exactly that way with the wind and everything, but you, you get the picture. That one degree shift over time becomes horrendous. Even a subtle shift in our heart's direction when we are young 
can eventually lead us very, very far away by the time we are old. And this is the dark ending of Solomon's kingship in 1 Kings 11. We see how glorious Solomon's kingship is, but how he landed and he, when he's old. He didn't land up in the temple of God. He ended up at the high places of idols. Look at it with me in chapter 11. Remember how we read of Moses' warning just now in Deuteronomy 17 verse 16 about horses? Now the next verse actually gives another warning to Israel when they didn't have king. And this is what uh, the passage says in Deuteronomy 17 verse 17. He, that's the king, must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of gold or silver or gold. But as we turn to 1 Kings 11, we see the shift from Solomon's goal. He starts to shift to Solomon's wives in verse 1. He says this, 11 verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Now what seemed like a cautious compromise when we first started with Solomon in chapter 3 of him marrying Pharaoh's daughter, now is a full-fledged disobedience of chapter 11. In fact, Solomon knew that he was sinning against the Lord, but we are told he held on and held fast to the many foreign women that he loved. In fact, Solomon had 700 royal wives and 300 who are not royal, and his wives led him astray. Now, in chapter 3, we hear Solomon showed his love for the Lord by obedience, as David did. In this chapter, we read in verse 4 that Solomon, as he grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was no longer fully devoted to the Lord, his God, and as his heart turns, he starts to turn towards detestable goddesses and gods. In fact, the author of 1 Kings, he wrote this, that he was worshipping Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Why is Molech so detestable? It turns out that even right in Leviticus, and it goes on, that God has warned that if you turn to Molech, and you start having child sacrifices, I will deal with you. Molech is the one that calls people to sacrifice children. And here you have David setting up high places for Molech. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as his father had been. So instead of destroying high places and calling God's people to turn to the temple of Jerusalem, he set up all these high places for all the other gods that the wise want to worship, and he goes along. Now, dear friends, idolatry is the gravest sin for Israel, and it is the same for us. Isn't this what um, Moses gave about the Ten Commandments? This is how it actually began. He says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
In fact, Moses said on in Deuteronomy 8.19 that if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Now, dear friends, how frightening it is when our hearts turn away from God. A small compromise to sin, a small deviation of loyalty in pursuit of personal gains, glory, some relationships that we want, they can lead us very, very far away from God. Now, the young Solomon would never have worshipped Molech, but the old Solomon did. Here's the thing. We don't wake up one day and just decide that we don't have God anymore. But we have many days that we'll wake up and the first thing we flip is our phone. The information, the psychology, the ways of the world that tells us how to do well in life, it just nibbles on us day at a time. We're going to one day choose to say, you know what, I don't want God anymore and I want this world. But over time, it nibbles on us to say that this is where you can get treasures, this is where you can get relationships, this is where you can get fame. Now the immediate warning sign for us here is that Solomon was not the king that kept God's covenant. He's not the king that's going to save you and me. We need someone who is greater. But at the same time, we are reminded that while we are not Solomon, the warnings of Solomon's fallen condition tells us that we too must be very careful with our hearts because we are no better than King Solomon. The times that we will be promised an amazing career and remuneration for those who are working, but it may require us to give up some of the things that we promised God. There may be someone who comes along that is very attractive and the relationship will be great, but it requires some compromise in our faith. There are times that we would seek after many friends and acquaintances and relationships, but as you grow older, you find that you are really so alone spiritually. It doesn't shift in that one day. Solomon tells us it moves and moves and draws us away from God. Now, here's the thing. Some decisions are very clear, right and wrong. You can see it straight away. But many decisions call for wisdom and this is where I'm reminded by an elderly saint from the first service. We, we went to their house for, um, for dinner. During Bible study, we were there, and she was sharing about how unpredictable life is. And then she suddenly raised her voice, and she quoted Proverbs 9, verse 10 in Mandarin. And this is what she says by the English. She says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. She repeated that a few times, so I'm going to repeat one more time to you. That Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So dear friends, as we listen and hear how Solomon rises but falls, that we are to capture what is wisdom and who can save us. We need someone greater than Solomon who can stand against sin himself and can save us from ours. Now let's move on. The King Solomon, we are told that the Lord became angry with him because his heart had turned away from the Lord, who had appeared to him twice. And this is what it said in verse 11. Look at chapter 11, verse 11. The Lord said to Solomon, 
since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now God's judgment became clear as we look at this very painful chapter 11. That the kingdom will not be torn away out of grace in his lifetime, but when his son comes, the kingdom will be taken away. Now we have no record of what Solomon said to God. There's no response being recorded. But we are told that the Lord raised against Solomon adversaries. Look at 14. 14 he had Hadad the Edomite. And then God raised another adversary in verse 23, Rizon the son of Eliada. But the most daunting adversary, and we'll hear him again next week, is in verse 26, Jeroboam, son of Nebat. In fact, there is this frightening similarities when you hear the account of God telling Jeroboam that he's going to get the kingdom of Israel. It almost sounded like the way God said to David years ago that he's going to get the kingdom of Saul. There are many similarities that sense chills as you read this, but here are at least three of them. The first is this, they were told of a prophet by the name Ahijah, he was from Silo. For us, we read Silo, nothing rings a bell, but Silo rings a bell to every Israelite because that is the place God spoke to another great prophet, Samuel. Silo is the place that Samuel was from, and that's the place where God showed himself through his word. Now, the second thing that sends chill to us, that affirms the judgment, is that prophet Ahijah, he appeared before Jeroboam, he wore this, this new robe, a new cloak, and then he tore the cloak into 12 pieces and he gave 10 to Jeroboam. Does that sound ring a bell to you? It is because just a few decades ago, when King Saul sinned against God and Samuel, the prophet, was walking away, King Saul grabbed hold of the cloak of Samuel and the cloak tore and Samuel looked back and saw and says, so will your kingdom, giving it away. That is a replica here, even while Solomon is alive, that this happens in his kingdom. The final thing that really set the seal of judgment is seen in the very promise that God actually gives to Jeroboam. If you look at 38, it's a very chilling promise given because it sounds like what he would have given David just one generation ago. That Jeroboam, if he will walk in obedience, the Lord would then build him a dynasty, Israel, as enduring as the one built for David. Now here's the thing, the success of Solomon in all his array and goal now amounts to nothing if God turns away from him. Apart from God's mercy to remember David, we'll have nothing there. But because of God's mercy, we read this, that in all his promise, God's promise to Jeroboam, he didn't say it's going to be forever. But when he talks about the people or the descendants of David, he says, my anger will not be forever. That is a grace that was not deserved, but God remembers. God will not forget his promise to David and he will not abandon David's descendants. There will one day that his people will be lifted up, but not this generation. 
So as the reign of Solomon comes to an end, we read this solemn ending. Um, you can look at it with me in the last few verses that Solomon rested with his ancestors after reigning for 40 years. And his son, sounds similar, but it's not Rehoboam, succeeded him as king. Now, dear friends, we have been journeying first kings for past few weeks and months. With journey with Solomon, we see his rise to power. We, we saw how he received wisdom and his glory for 10 chapters. But this one chapter brings everything crashing down. Everything falls apart. The idolatry of Solomon brings about his fall and his son Rehoboam will usher in what we call the divided kingdom. We'll hear more about it next week. But as we close and come to this end of this chapter, what we really need to feel is the weight of sin and the consequence of sin. We witness God's um, glory turning away from the king as his glory deems and ends up in the grave along with the one united kingdom. But there's only one hope that we hold on, that God's anger does not last forever because he remembers David and we know that eventually a king who is going to be born, he will flip the chart from grave to glory. He's the king who will not worship other gods, but only one. So here's the account as we wrap up from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. We hear about Jesus and he was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the wilderness. And this is the last temptation. And this is what he says, Matthew 4 verse 8. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, the devil said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now the commands Solomon failed to obey, Jesus filled it. And so we learn as Easter comes that Jesus, as he dies, death could not hold him. And so he resurrected from the dead. And with him comes the revelation that he is the true temple, but he is also the true king. Here's the thing, friends, friends, sisters, as we close, we have to ask ourselves this hard question, this important question. What really is success for you? Whether you are a youth, whether you are a young person working, whether you are old, what is success? What is success to you? Is it trying to get the best of this world, taste the greatest pleasure, have the best games? Or is it really knowing God, acknowledging Him, and choosing to worship the one God and not the practical gods that the world offers us. What will we choose? Here's the thing, our greatest problem is always our heart problem. And our hearts are always prone to turn away. There's only one king who can turn our heart back to God and keep us there until he returns. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. How will we respond? Will we choose him? Will we follow him? Let us pray. Dear Lord, may you help us and keep us in your grace when we acknowledge Jesus as our perfect King. 
May you hold our hearts close to you. And as we learned last week, that when we fall away and we turn back and pray to you before the Lord Jesus, that you will forgive us and draw us back. Here, the fallen condition of King Solomon, we do not condemn him as if we are better, but we are reminded that we too have the same fallen condition. And so we need the perfect, great King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the sermon. Uh, now let's take some time to quickly discuss uh, what we've just seen from the passage. Um, so the discussion questions uh, were the following. Uh, number one, what is a successful life for you and what could derail it? And number two, what is the most important takeaway from 1 Kings chapter 10 to 11? Let's take a few minutes to discuss this and we'll come back together shortly. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.